It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, February 27th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. After the California report, we'll focus on your winter storm forecast. Then, a special interview as part of KVMR News' continual coverage of Black History Month. In the late 70s, a 24-year-old Carol Menneker landed on the jury of Freddie Burton's trial. The young black prison inmate was charged with the murders of two white wardens inside a Philadelphia prison. The jury voted to convict Burton, but four decades later, Menneker questions that decision. On tonight's newscast, KVMR's Joyce Miller sits down with Menneker, now an author living in Nevada City. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Civil rights groups are suing both U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and a private prison company for allegedly retaliating against detainees on a hunger strike in the state. KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports. Several dozen detainees have been on a hunger strike for more than a week, protesting what they call inhumane conditions at two privately run detention centers in Kern County. The lawsuit accuses ICE and its detention contractor, the GEO Group, of punishing hunger strikers by taking away their yard time and family visitation and threatening them with solitary confinement. Attorney Bree Bernwenger is with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. We filed this lawsuit to protect the First Amendment rights of a group of people who have put their bodies on the line to protest the injustice of their detention. Spokespeople for ICE and GEO deny the alleged retaliation. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Five named plaintiffs are asking the court to let them represent more than 80 hunger strikers in a class action case. Yes, it's rained a lot this year, but we're still in a drought. So, to boost water supplies for California farmers and cities, Governor Gavin Newsom has asked the state's water board to waive rules aimed at protecting salmon and other endangered fish. That's outraged environmentalists, as we hear from Alistair Bland of the online news site CalMatters. This decision by the state will mean less water will flow through the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta and into San Francisco Bay. This is a process that supports the estuary's ecosystem. Instead, the water will be stored in reservoirs and delivered to Southern Californians and growers in the Central Valley. Some legislators, farmers, and water agencies have complained that water is wasted when it's allowed to flow into the ocean. But environmentalists are calling this decision a breakdown of law and order in the Delta and say it could jeopardize fish that are already endangered. That's CalMatters environment reporter Alistair Bland. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health, on the web at chcf.org/lbca. Paint care. Now with 846 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. 
The Central Coast city of Paso Robles is an increasingly big deal in the world of wine, but as its stature grows, the Paso Robles area is facing familiar California challenges like expensive housing and water worries, and that's creating problems for the local wine industry. KCBX's Benjamin Perper visited one vineyard experimenting with potential solutions. Twelve miles west of downtown Paso Robles is a hilly vineyard and winery called Tablas Creek, Jason Haas is the owner. We're standing here in the middle of the Grenache section of a vineyard block that we call Scruffy Hill. There is a panoramic view of the entire Adelaida district, one of the 11 distinct wine grape growing areas in Paso Robles. It's a mountainous area covered in mature green grapevines close enough to the coast that you can feel an ocean breeze coming in from the Pacific. We have a mix of Grenache and Syrah and Morvedra and Cunoise over here. So all four of our main red grapes. Haas's father was an internationally renowned winemaker who partnered with a French family to establish Tablas Creek. We came into it with an idea that we wanted to translate the ideas, the kind of the inspiration of the southern Rhone Valley from France into California somewhere. Translating French winemaking traditions to a California vineyard meant foregoing many common irrigation practices here. Instead of drip irrigation, which continuously provides water to the vines, Tablas Creek practices dry farming, and that saves a lot of water. Vines are carefully planted and maintained to need irrigation only once, or never, and instead make do with small amounts of rainwater. With the, the growth in the number of wineries and the, the growth of the region, there's more pressure on shared resources like groundwater than there's ever been. The Paso Robles groundwater basin has been heavily overpumped for years now, mostly from irrigating the area's vineyards. Wells are running dry left and right, and the area now has to overhaul its water use practices to meet the state's legal definition of sustainability. So Haas decided to double down on water conservation practices. In addition to dry farming, his vineyard is the first in the world for a new certification, the Regenerative Organic Certification. The same choices that we feel like are maximizing the, the quality of fruit and the character of the fruit that we're growing are having positive impacts on the, the long-term viability of not just what we're doing, but the viability of the, of the wine community out here. Getting certified takes a long time, but it's catching on. Currently, there are 13 certified farms in California. It's all based on a process that aims to restore the health of the soil and wider ecosystem. It runs on three pillars soil health, animal welfare, and social fairness. We feel like taken all together, it's, it's sort of a, it's a proxy for, for what we hope will become the gold standard for great farming. Haas says the certification has precise rules on paying workers a living wage, factoring costs like transportation, healthcare, and housing. And housing is a big problem around here. Like the rest of the Central Coast, it's expensive in Paso Robles. At his vineyard, Haas uses the regenerative organic certifications formula for calculating his workers' pay. His minimum wage for employees is just over $20, about $5 more than the state's minimum wage. Again, I think it sort of points the way for agriculture to be a part of the solution to these big challenges. I think it has the, it has the ability to be a game changer. It's a costly way to farm, but Haas believes that in the long run, it will be worth it. For The California Report, I'm Benjamin Perper in Paso Robles. And finally, we'll note that today, February 27th, is the birthday of that giant of California literature, John Steinbeck. Born in Salinas in 1902, Steinbeck authored such works as Of Mice and Men, East of Eden, and The Grapes of Wrath. Susan Schillinglaw, a top Steinbeck scholar, spoke to the BBC about the author in 2011. 
He said later that he wanted to be a writer since he was 14. And so he said, I, this is all I want to do is write. And the amazing thing about Steinbeck is having made that decision, he simply worked at it relentlessly all of his life. For his achievements, Steinbeck was honored with the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1962. He is still the only California native to win a Nobel in that category. Steinbeck passed away in 1968. The National Steinbeck Center in Salinas continues its mission to teach people about the author and his creative legacy. And that is the California Report for today. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow. Now let's take a look at your local news. On Friday, February 24th, just before 10 p.m., Nevada County Consolidated Fire District responded to a reported structure fire, with victims trapped on Little Valley Road in Grass Valley. The first responders to arrive at the scene encountered a single-story family residence, with smoke billowing and flames engulfing the front of the house. Fire crews immediately initiated search and rescue actions. It was then the crews found an individual who was pronounced dead at the scene. Firefighters from both Nevada County Consolidated Fire and Grass Valley Fire were able to contain the fire to the building of origin, preventing further spread to neighboring homes. However, the cause of the fire remains under investigation. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office will release additional details after notifying family members of the deceased. With the fickle nature of this turbulent forecast, schools, stores, and transit services are opening and closing at a moment's notice. Ubinet has compiled a daily snow-related closure page which lays out who's had to shut their doors due to the extreme weather. You can find the information by going to their homepage at ubinet.com and clicking on the headline, Snow-Related Closures, for the date in question. Another useful website the KVMR News team has been turning to is the Caltrans Quick Map webpage. You can find the very latest information about road closures and chain requirements and view live camera feeds of the state's roadways. Visit the Caltrans QuickMap website at quickmap.dot.ca.gov. Dr. Daniel Swain is a climate scientist at UCLA's Institute of the Environment and Sustainability. He specializes in the changing causes and impacts of extreme weather and climate events. His blog, Twitter account, and YouTube page can all be found under Weather West. Here he provides real-time perspectives on weather and climate change, including holding what he calls live virtual weather and climate office hours. The KVMR news team was able to catch Dr. Swain's weather and climate office hours today. There he put into perspective what this extreme winter storm means for the Sierra snowpack and the state's weather pendulum in general. It is really interesting to reflect that now in the past decade, we will have experienced most of the snowiest years on record in California, but also most of the least snowy years on record. So in other words, we will have experienced two of the three snowiest years and also two of three of the least snowy years by many definitions in the same decade. And essentially in in, in some years in, in consecutive back-to-back kinds of conditions. And so that's conspicuous and really speaks to this notion of increasing hydroclimate whiplash. We often think of it in terms of evaporation and rainfall being the key pieces of this. But, you know, this is sort of anecdotal evidence that we're seeing the same thing with snowpack. So even as the average snowpack declines, we're still getting these individual huge snow years along with the individual extremely dismal snow years mixed in. 
So the variability of that snowpack in the last decade has been just incredible in California. We've literally swung from essentially the from, from literally the lowest snowpack on record to what may end up being the highest snowpack on record over just a few years. Continuing with our weather coverage, let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight snow showers with a low around 29 degrees. Thunder is possible. Expect winds up to 34 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 5 to 11 inches is possible. Tuesday, snow showers with a high near 35 degrees. Thunder is possible Tuesday as well. Winds increase with gusts as high as 40 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 8 to 12 inches is possible. The National Weather Service has issued a winter storm warning in effect for the Grass Valley, Nevada City area until 4 a.m. Wednesday. Snow levels have dropped to 1,000 feet. They warn to prepare for total snow accumulation of 1 to 3 feet, with winds gusting as high as 50 miles per hour. These winds have the potential of bringing down tree branches, leading to power outages. Travel could be extremely dangerous to impossible. The National Weather Service highly discourages any form of mountain travel from now through Wednesday morning. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, snow with a low around 13 degrees. New snow accumulation of 8 to 12 inches is possible. Tuesday, snow with a high near 26 degrees, with new snow accumulation of 11 to 17 inches. The National Weather Service has issued a blizzard warning for the Truckee Tahoe region, in effect until 4 a.m. Wednesday. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms with increasing clouds and a low around 38 degrees. Tuesday, showers with thunderstorms and a high near 49 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. As part of the KVMR News ongoing coverage of Black History Month, the station's Joyce Miller speaks with Nevada City author Carol Meneker. The two discuss a four-decades-old decision that continues to haunt Meneker. What does this reckoning of the past mean for the author, and how does it inform the choices she now makes? Stay tuned. I'm speaking with Carol Meneker of Nevada City. In 1976, Carol was a young woman living in Philadelphia when she answered a jury summons and was put on a jury in the trial of Freddie Burton. Burton was a young black inmate who was charged with the murders of two white wardens in Philadelphia's Holmesburg prison. After being sequestered for 21 days and deliberating for just three hours, Carol and the rest of the jury voted to convict Mr. Burton, who was then sentenced to life in prison without parole. He remains in prison today. For more than 40 years, Carol tried to put this intense experience behind her. But one day in 2017, she received in the mail a jury summons that brought it all back. It led her on a journey that has culminated in her first book, titled The Worst Thing We've Ever Done, One Juror's Reckoning with Racial Injustice, which will be published in April. Carol, what made you want to revisit this episode after so many years? Getting a jury summons, and it wasn't the first one I'd received in so many years, always triggered a pretty high level of anxiety for me. I think it just took me back to that time where I was sequestered for 21 days and also to the really vicious nature of the crime that I witnessed in the trial. What led you to finally believe that Freddie Burns' conviction was a miscarriage of justice? 
when I stopped to think about the experience, which I often did when I got jury summons, I realized that I didn't know very much about who Freddie Burton was, and I only knew what I heard in the courtroom, and I suspected that maybe there was more there, because there really wasn't enough to make the decision that we were being asked to make, at least not for me. So I went back and looked at the newspaper articles. I had the help of a wonderful woman at the Nevada County Library who helped me dig up these articles. What I discovered was that there was so much more to Freddie Burton's story than what I heard in the courtroom. And it really made me doubt whether what I heard was enough to make the decision that I made. And you uncovered information that suggested that maybe the DA's office had suppressed evidence that would have exonerated him or maybe made the jury feel differently. What I didn't know when I was serving on the jury was why Freddie Burton was in jail in the first place. How did it come to pass that he was in prison and in the warden's office the day that those murders took place? And what I didn't know was that he had been convicted of murdering a white police officer in 1970, and that conviction happened in 1972. That is the conviction that I now have grave doubts about whether or not he committed the crime. There have been multiple petitions filed on his behalf in the last decades, and each of those petitions claimed that there was prosecutorial misconduct and coerced testimony in his first conviction. So put most simply, I've come to believe that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time twice. I do think that we all grow up in whatever world we grow up in, and mine was very white and somewhat privileged. As a result, the things that were going on in other communities, the African-American community in particular, really didn't get my attention. I think that Mr. Burton was one of many African-Americans at the time who were rounded up essentially by the FBI and law enforcement because they were affiliated with the Black Panthers and other subgroups who were feared by white people. And essentially, I think what happened to him, at least in his first conviction, and to many others who are still in jail, was that they were accused and they were convicted and they were sentenced with harsh penalties and no recourse. And that's where Mr. Burton sits today. I um, understand that there is still an ongoing effort to free Freddie Burton. How old is Freddie Burton now? He is 76 years old. He's been in prison since 1970. And there is there are, as a family, two generations of a family that have been trying to file petitions in the court for him for probably 40 years and all of his petitions have been denied. Essentially, they've been denied as untimely, which means that it's too late to bring information to the courts, and meritless, which is, in my opinion, a rather unkind and ineffectual word to describe the circumstances he's in. I suspect that the answers are not going to come from the courts, but they're going to come from legislation in the state of Pennsylvania that will remove this felony murder rule or take away these mandatory sentences that have no recourse for them. Explain a little bit about the felony murder rule. The felony murder rule is in effect in many states, and essentially what it says is if you were present when a crime took place, even if you didn't participate, let's say in a murder, for example, you didn't actually participate in that murder, you can be held accountable in, as if you actually pulled the trigger or stabbed with the knife or whatever the circumstances were. And it carries a mandatory sentence of life without parole. So the judge has no 
way to look at the circumstances and maybe alter that, it must have a life without parole sentence. So in Pennsylvania, there are efforts right now, and there have been for some time, to revisit that rule and to make it retroactive. And if that were the case, it may help set Mr. Burton free. I wrote this book to do some private soul searching. I didn't know that it would turn me into an advocate for criminal justice reform. I feel like if my book is a tool for others who are devoted to criminal justice reform, that's a good thing to do. But I can't just walk away now that the book is done. And I've found organizations who do this work, and I am becoming part of those groups and staying informed about this information. And when there's an opportunity for me to actually do something and speak up, I will do it. How is the Carol Miniker of today different from the Carol Miniker of 1976? Well, in this context, she's the same in that she was angry. She was angry about being sequestered and removed from her family and her life. And today I'm angry because I didn't know enough to make a choice and I would make a different choice today. So I feel I feel anger about that. I feel anger every time I witness problems with law enforcement and the African-American community. I feel angry that it feels so difficult to create change in this area. Now that I understand more about African-American history, which is what Black History Month is about, I feel like I was way too sheltered and I didn't have enough information about what it was like to be Black in America. And as we have seen the murders of George Floyd and Tyree Nichols and the other events of recent years, how has that felt for you? I feel a lot of rage about that. I feel probably the same rage that Mr. Burton and his colleagues and friends felt in 1970 when there was a lot of brutality from the Philadelphia Police Department on that African-American community. I feel like there hasn't been enough change. What's happening now is just a different manifestation of what was happening in Philadelphia at the time Mr. Burton was convicted. The only difference is now everyone can see it. There was no videotape. There were only, you know, person A's word against person B's word. But now that we can actually see it, the fact that it is not being addressed quickly is infuriating. Do you have any idea what you would say to him if you did get a chance to talk to him now? What I'd say to him now is, I want to do what I can to help. And if I can't help you, I want to help others like you who have found themselves in a situation in which there's no recourse and who would like to live the rest of their lives with their families and not in prison. So I would like to do more than I did and in some small way undo what I did. Do you have remorse about this, about your decision? I do. I wish I'd known then what I know now. I wish I had been more mature and less self-focused than I was. But I was young and I took to that courtroom the person that I was then. And I'm glad that I'm a different person now. That's our newscast for Monday, February 27th. Visit our webpage at kvmr.org and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Four Paws Animal Clinic. Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions. On Searles Avenue, Nevada City, fourpawsac.com. And Craig Johnson Plumbing, 
family-owned plumbing and rooting service serving Nevada and Placer County since 2004. Providing plumbing installations and repairs, also emergency services for residential and commercial customers. Craig Johnson Plumbing at grassvalleyplumbing.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.